Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. This is the Cannon Cast, a weekly podcast from the Cannon, an explanation blog about the Columbus Blue Jackets. I am Will Chase, back from vacation, and with me tonight is Game 4 recapper Elaine Shercliffe. <laughs> Elaine, how was that Game 4? I mean, it was better than Saturday's game. <laughs> um, yeah, that's one way we could go, I guess. Yeah, I mean, they just, they well, still look tired. And they played inconsistent energy-wise, so that allowed Tampa Bay to kind of um, relax themselves at points because they were they were playing at a different level tonight. Not their best either, but you know their best was their not best was still better than our best tonight. So yeah, I was uh, I was watching this game. I had a friend over. I was tweeting the game, but. I so I wasn't I wasn't just engaged with the game itself, but even just from a casual stance, I guess I felt like Tampa Bay didn't look as fast as they normally would, uh, and you know Columbus actually controlled the game in terms of shots. They actually destroyed them in faceoffs, thirty to twelve, which is insane. It was like eleven to one, I think, after one period. <laughs> Which I didn't um, put any of those positive things in the recap now that we're sitting here talking about this. So I'm sure I'm sure well, everyone's going to rip me apart. My bad. Well, that's what we do. But no. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, I, I just, I, I don't know. I, I, I guess you were watching, you were recapping. So what were some of the takeaways that you thought about? I mean, you mentioned that neither team necessarily looked maybe as refreshed as, say, a team that had, you know, team that had a couple of days off obviously and in this case they've both been playing every other day but uh it, to me it just when you whenever you can basically not that out shooting a team necessarily means so much but you're used to Tampa Bay kind of running rampant uh and Columbus has been doing well to at least contain them but I mean you're down two to one you had to win this game basically I don't think they're going to win three in a row, and I guess anything's possible. But I mean, if they're going to win three in a row, they better start scoring more than one or two goals a game. But you know, the power play is still anemic. You're, you know, Tampa Bay couldn't do uh, much on their three power play opportunities either. So this was kind of a game that necess- I mean, you had to win. Obviously, you're down two to one, but you also were kind of limiting Tampa Bay even more than usual, I guess. So 
What was, is that kind of your same takeaway as well? Um, actually, I had a little bit of a better view of the um, power play. <laughs> they didn't score, which is obviously very important on the power play, but I felt like they actually maintained control of the power play on each one. Um, I feel like they were able to draw up plays on the fly without them being haphazard, without them doing... I feel like they were more fundamentally sound on the power play as well. There weren't the drop back passes. They weren't, they didn't do as many drop back, drop back passes. They didn't do as many like fancy cross ice passes or they just seemed more uh, solid on the power play other than (laughs) scoring. It would have been nice if they scored, but I didn't feel scared watching them on the power play. Like I typically do, or they didn't look like a mess. They just couldn't, score. One of their biggest problems is they let everyone sit on the doorstep constantly for the lightning. Like Gord has been sitting on that doorstep all series, all series. He's gotten in Corpusalo's face. He's gotten in Corpusalo's, you know, taken extra wax at him. He's literally been standing next to Corpusalo in the crease at some time. People don't push him out of the way. And he is his ability to stay posted at the top of the crease is what let him score that second goal because Corpusala was left vulnerable to a, a, a deflected puck. Like how is he supposed to know where that was going? So they have to just clear people out of the, the crease and out of the slot because I was looking at the shot map from natural stat trick and it was so deep blue <laughs> right in the slot and um and along the crease which means they they got a lot of like shot attempts off so close to Corpusalo and we the jackets can't allow that but yeah with Columbus's power play um it was kind of a mixed bag on the one hand there were some lanes and they had some opportunities where it was like it looked like they could have scored and then there was just a typical I don't know if you want to call it confusion or just, you know, chasing, dumping, going after it, kind of looking slow. I mean, you, the empty net in the third period, which is essentially like a power play more or less because you're six on five, just looks horrible, confusing. Uh, it, it just looks like it's yeah. like they just turned to molasses and Tampa Bay, they're just up there in their face and they can't do anything offensively. And it's like, is, is it psychological? I mean, you would think after three years of this, it must be a little bit, but, but I, I mean, and not to, not, to, not to take anything away from Tampa Bay, but I mean, we've seen this night in and night out. But we can take away from Tampa Bay because Tampa didn't play that well. Right. So it's like, they're not even playing right. at their top and, Tampa Bayness, and they're still beating the jackets. I yeah. mean, one of the things that bothered me about the third period is the way that the Jackets stopped playing fundamentals. They forgot about the fundies. They just were being all like, I don't know, willy-nilly with everything they were doing, but they weren't fundamentally sound. Now, I've been, I was seeing some things, you know, typical kind of post-game reactions on Twitter, and I thought they're interesting points just because what came to mind were the usage, the ice time for certain players. And if you look at, you know, the Blue Jackets box score, guys like Liam Foody played five and a half minutes. Eric Robinson played 713. Stellan played 735. But then you have guys like 
you know, Nick Foligno, 1656. You have Boone Jenner at 1549. You're trying to get a goal. You're down two to one. Like I said, I felt like, not, aside from the obvious that it's two to one Tampa Bay at this point in the series and in the game, essentially. But, you know, this is your game. This is the one that you have to take. Did you think they should have just let the kids essentially go for it? Or I know Torts has his philosophy, yeah. but it's like, what do you, at this point in the year, what do you have to lose? See what you got. So, I actually touched on that kind of in my recap um, by saying that, and I know I'm going to get so much hate for it, and that's okay. Like, I don't really care that much. Go ahead and at me and and debate with me about what I say in this article. But Drop your um, Twitter handle. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not inviting the hate. <laughs> um, but I said, you know, Matisse Kavlenic should have started the third period, and it's not because Corpus Salo wasn't doing his job. It's because they needed a um, mindset change on that ice and shortening the bench was not going to do it. Shortening the bench was honestly the worst thing that he could have done. And it, they got tired. They, you know, the young guys that didn't play that much, they are so fundamentally strong. They know the game really well. They um, might not always be able to execute it the best, but they're still, they were still doing better than some of the veterans. So I feel like the only chance at that point that they had to use Kivlenix was the third period. There, there's no way you put him in to a possible elimination game. That's just insane. You know, so... The third period, it, like it's like this. The worst that could have happened is that they would end up in the same spot that they ended up tonight. Or the best that could have happened is that they would have won. But <laughs> I just felt like it, after those two quick goals and Corpy just didn't even seem like super energetic um, and excited, like he didn't even seem aggressively angry. Uh, he was definitely like focused and honed in, but I don't think it was like the same kind of energy. So I think he's also tired because he's having to play defense and goaltender. So yes, people are going to get mad at me for saying that. And I really don't care, but I feel like he should have given Matisse a shot tonight in the third period and made sure that every single young guy was still getting the name. Well, if even if, okay. So if the, if you put Klevenix in this game <laughs> down two to one, and they win or lose, let's say they lose, who starts game uh, five? Corpus Allo. So I mean, you just make it clear to Corpus Allo that it's not your fault, Corpus Allo. When you take out a goalie, sometimes it's to change the energy on the ice, and they needed that energy change tonight, and they didn't get it. I get that when it's like I know. 3 People are going to fight me on it. <laughs> I mean, I get it when it's 3 nothing, like in the Toronto series last week, but... Uh, I don't know. When you're down two to one and you're largely here because of the play of Corpus Allo, okay, I get what you're saying about getting young guys to play, but that goes back to the original point of why isn't, you know, uh, Liam Foodie playing more than five and a half minutes? And he right. wants the young kids but to play. That's thing, too. They need the young kids. I feel like you put in Kivlenix and it's going to change some of these guys' reactions to letting guys sit on the doorstep. Like those. Monsters players who were, who played tonight are gonna make sure that <laughs> they're gonna make sure that he's away from the crease. You know, they 
the Jackets aren't going to let some young kid come into the playoff game and just like get annihilated by the Lightning. And when I say annihilated, I mean actually physically annihilated, not scored on. Um, but I also, I mean, I do think all the younger guys needed to play more too. And, and you can't shorten the bench and put in a new goaltender. You have to do one or the other. And so he chose the shorten the bench route. And I think shortening the bench hurt them more than if they had put Kiv Lennox in over Corpus Allo. I guess that's basically what I'm saying. I think uh, looking over this entire series to date so far, all uh, four games, it's pretty insane because Tampa Bay, I guess they've played their game for the most part, but Columbus has really contained them a lot. Every game has been close. The exception of game two, which was actually the Blue Jackets 3-1 to win. Every game has been a goal difference. Uh, and it just comes down to Columbus while they're not executing on the power play like we saw, well, basically all series. Or you go back to, uh, you know, the last game on Saturday. I mean, five on three. They had three opportunities, I think, in the first period and couldn't convert. It's like maybe this is the wake-up call that's finally going to bring some kind of change uh, for the special teams because how long is this going to go on in which the power play, for whatever reason, cannot convert i mean i get it it's hard to score goals in the nhl but like you can't win you're, you're not going to advance in the playoffs if you can't win the special teams battle right especially when the writing was on the wall saturday when they couldn't convert on the five on three and it was what was it like a minute and a half of five on three time it was it was a lot yeah yeah and mm-hmm. it it caught they got off two shots two only two when you have the two-man advantage Joel Quinville back in 2010 or 2011, he said to, he once said that if you don't score on the five on three, you're probably not winning that game. And after he said that back then I started watching, you know, being more cognizant of five on threes and if they score. And it seems to be very true because it's like, if you're up to two guys, and you can't score, how are you going to do it when it's five on five? Or how are you going to do it when you're on the, the man disadvantage? Like, And that's the thing. The Jackets actually seem, I mean, this is where I go back to the psychology of it. Because it, I, I almost feel like I'm almost more confident. When, I mean, I'm not. I mean, whatever. Even though it seems like nothing's going to happen, I still get, uh, you know, pot, uh, I feel excited when they're on the power play. Because in theory, that should be good. And I'm like, crap, a penalty when they're on the kill. But I almost feel like they score as much on the penalty kill as they do on the power play. So it's almost like backwards. But I I would really love it if we could talk with a power play coach or a coach in general that could explain how the power play, you know, go beyond the basics of just shoot and score. I want to know, like, what's making it so challenging, why it is so difficult, you know, I know it doesn't look as easy as we all make it sound, but I want to know from a coach exactly what, obviously what should be happening. I mean, we know what should be happening. Right. Like I, you know, I sat down with Trent Vogelhuber from the Monsters to talk about their PK. Obviously it was one of the best ones in the AHL at that time, but to pick his brain about what they need to do, what works for them and what doesn't. And you know, after I did that interview and I started watching the PK and I could see where they were falling apart, I could write my article better. I could translate that better to 
to the fans and say like, obviously this is not a, a coaching thing. This is a player thing, or this is maybe a coaching thing because the players can't execute it properly or, or whatnot. And I, I would, yeah, exactly. I would love to sit down with power play coach and be like, let's just talk. Let Tell us what you're seeing. Guide us through how you are going through the process of setting up these power plays and how you pick people to be on the power play unit. You know, like I would love to dive into it instead of being like, what went wrong on the power play? We know what went wrong. They didn't score. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I also wanted to get your thoughts again on the game one, five overtime. So the funny thing is I'm watching the game. So I'm, I, here's the backstory. So I am coming back from the beach and I'm listening to the first period on the radio because I'm like, all right, I'm going to miss most of this game or a, a little bit of it at least. So let me listen to what I can. Little did I know I was going to be able to watch the equivalent of a basically two games going forward because in overtime, I never do this, but I'm t- I say to my dad, oh, it's probably going to go like four overtimes or it may have been the third period at that point. I don't know. I said, ah, it'll probably go four overtimes and it goes five. But Elaine, so... I'm trying to remember, were you recapping that first game or tweeting that game? No, I, was, I was tweeting that game, and I left work early that day. Oh, Steve was uh, recapping. Yeah. yeah. I left work. Like, at the 3 o'clock games, I just leave work at 2 p.m. because I 7 to 3.30 is considered, like, a full day in my workplace. So I'm like, okay, I'll just use some time. And I was just like, this is fine. I'll be able to do all of this stuff to the house that I just moved into and mow my lawn and do all this after the game. <laughs> and I was like, it was insane. It was so insane. I, I am so, I love a good overtime game. Five overtimes is absolutely insane. And it was like, I, I couldn't believe that the jacket had so much energy after all the games they played in a row and the short, the short turnarounds. Like, I don't even know how they did it. And I started running out of things to tweet. <laughs> and so I just like started having a conversation with raw charge. <laughs> I started having a conversation with like a bunch of other teams. Like was it, yeah, the Canes blog and the Bruins blog, <laughs> like, because we, at, at some point your brain shuts down when you're trying to like actually, uh, put real thought into it. Like when you're not looking at it, it's just a fan, but like, I can't imagine what seats had to go through. If I had to recap that game, I would have been like, there were five overtimes at the end <laughs> because my brain would have shut off. <laughs> Today's episode is brought to you by cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Hello, I'm Neil Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. 
We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts. I know it's you know difficult for probably most fans to look at this and say, oh, 3-1, we're going to lose the series probably, blah, blah, blah. I don't know. I'm not super bummed. I think this team probably exceeded our expectations based on everything. Who knows if they were even going to make the playoffs back in March. They were kind of struggling. They were in the picture, obviously. They got in. They took out Toronto, which is great. Um, you know, They've made it close against Tampa. Again, lack of scoring, power play, all that. The, the positive takeaways are Corpusalo and Elvis when Elvis was playing and healthy. Uh, Corpusalo took his game to another level. And then you mentioned Clevenix earlier. We saw a game or so back in like January against the Rangers. So I feel like goaltending is obviously solid. Defense is obviously solid. Offense, we know, needs work. But I feel like, on the one hand, you got this, the, the aforementioned young guns, Texier and Bemstrom, who's struggled. But, you know, a lot of different guys. You would like to see Cam. He's a veteran. Benefit of the doubt, I would think, most, especially going forward. But there's a lot of offensive talent. But I guess it just depends. Like, how are we going to utilize it? Are they going to all – I think they're going to be fine. I think they're going to mature and play well. But I think it's just like – is Torts going to have to kind of adapt a little bit? Or, I mean, on the one hand, it gets him to this point, but what good is it to get, you know, Felino so many minutes in a game? Or and I've been kind of frustrated with Felino because he's had a lot of different penalties in this playoffs also. So real quick, I want to circle back to that five overtime, and then I'll get back to Felino. <laughs> so the, the thing about the five overtime, too, is it really hi- highlighted some things with the NHL that probably needs to change. I don't think that there should be a shootout in – in the playoffs like no way like just I don't agree with that um but I think when you hit past maybe the second overtime you go to say four on four and then after that you go three on three because you it's un I know people are like oh but like records and that's so hockey but it's also super unhealthy (laughs) these players are getting dehydrated there. It's just, it's not, especially if they're playing a game, there's a day off and then there's a game the next day. Like there's, so there's tops 48 hours in between when they end and when they start. They just, they need to find a way to make that, to make that game end a little bit quicker because you can still see a really good four on four, three on three overtime game. I mean, in the AHL in the regular season, they play three on three overtime and it's pretty, it's really good. Like you have to adjust your plays a little bit more, but I mean, I like it with Toronto. Th- there should have been some sort of, so that, you know, the Bruins and the Canes didn't have to uh, cancel. They should have had something set up in place for them to play at say the Coca-Cola Coliseum, which is not, it's like 10 minutes up the road and it's the AHL rank. So if, I know cameras and logistics for that are a little bit different, but I feel like maybe yeah. if we do this again ever, <laughs> hopefully they take that into consideration as well. 
Yeah, I guess that's where something like Nationwide Arena comes into play because you have the Ice House and even Ohio State. I don't know how it would work, but going back to overtime real fast, and I want to get to the Game 5. Going back to the overtime, uh, we haven't seen something like, what, three-overtime game in 20 years, I think, before the five-overtime game. So it's pretty infrequent. A three-overtime game happened, I know one happened in 2013 when the – Bruins played Chicago in Chicago because I was in Chicago when it happened. <laughs> but I don't. Yeah, when when was a four or five overtime game? It. I know, like the I know the Philly Pittsburgh game back in like two thousand or whatever comes to mind. But we don't see a ton of these, so it's like I don't. Let's not. I don't want to go Mike Milbury and try to change the game. But uh, I like three on three overtime in the regular season, and I could do without the shootout, I guess, at this point in the regular season. But as far as playoffs, I'm good with five on five. But I don't think they're really going to change it, but yeah. I just think that after a certain point, you need to do it. You you need to for the health and safety of the players. Really, is what it comes down to. I struggle so much with Felino sometimes because when he's good, he's good, but when he's bad, he's bad. <laughs> like his, I don't like the way he when he takes a penalty, he jaws the ref about it and. It just gets inside his mind. So if I was playing against Nick Felino and it was overtime and I drew a penalty, I would lay on the ground and like play it up. You know what I mean? Because I know that he's going to get upset and it's going to consume him mentally. I just, and I don't feel like, I feel like he's just been off during this most of his time in the bubble. Tonight, both of those goals, he was late to the play both times. Who knows what could have happened if he was at the play on time. He might not have been able to stop it, but he might have. We just, we won't know. I don't know. I get I get high on the team just when uh, we see what they do against Toronto, and it's like the style, defensive style is fun to watch them just choke out these offensive talents. But then you realize this team is not going to be able to win when they can't score. And, you know, it is what it is. We know it. It's like we're, we're set up, we're set up ourselves for failure to think, like, let's see how far this team can go. But it's like, how realistically good... I was joking with my Rangers friend who was over here earlier. I said, you know, we should have said, hey, Panarin, you're, you're not doing anything now. We should borrow you for this series against Tampa. <laughs> I said it mainly because he's a Rangers fan and the Rangers guy had swept. But anyway, I digress. Now, I want to get to uh, the Game 5 preview real fast. Uh, noon, it's 12 o'clock on Wednesday. I'll be back at work. So I've been able to watch all these games for two weeks without any work, but I'll be back at work. So I won't really be able to fully, uh, you know, but 12 o'clock noon could be an elimination day. It could be the day that the Jackets somehow win and uh, keep the series going. What do you think happens? Uh, It depends on what team shows up, honestly. If a team that I say mentally is like a huge thing for the Jackets. And when they came into this series, I felt like they were super mentally sound. Um, like they didn't, their minds weren't other places, but now I feel like that's not the case. And also I feel like their fundamentals, I said it, I've said it so many times already, but like their fundamentals have gotten away from them. So if they come in and play blue collar hockey, if they play blue jackets brand of hockey, if they play the fundamentals, if they let the young kids actually play, you know, like the foodies and the Robinsons and all of them, if they let them play in Stenland, in Stenland, I mean, if they let Stenland really play, they're going to be fine. But 
the coaches need to trust the younger guys and all of the players need to focus on their fundamentals and not get too flashy and also have fun. They didn't look like they had fun the past two games. You know, like there was that essence of fun that was missing. So they need to find that. And if they find that and if they do those things, they'll be fine. But if they don't, they're going to they're gonna get booted. So we have a little bit of time left. So we'll go around the other series a little bit. Not a deep dive in, but just a quick uh, acknowledgement. So in, in progress right now. So I, in my mind, I still feel like, I don't know if this will happen, but I feel like it's going to come down the Golden Knights avalanche. Right now in progress, the avalanche are up 6-1 to one in the third period no. on Arizona. <laughs> Well, I mean, I, I was I was expecting an Avalanche sweep, and they lost the last game, so they were ready for this one. Um, but you know, you got the Bruins without Tuukka Rask; they're up two to one over the Hurricanes. The Canucks have been a surprise. I think uh, they could be a dark horse, maybe in the West. They're up two one on the Blues. You have the Caps down three nothing. You have the Stars and Flames tied at two. The Hawks stayed alive, uh, and then of course the Canadians are down uh, two to one. What are your thoughts on any of these other, you know, games and series? And So initially, I had thought that um, the Coyotes would have some sort of chance. And then I was like, oh, wait, Jared Bednar is the head coach. <laughs> and, um, and it's the Avalanche. They're freaking beasts. Well, not just – but, like, you have to understand, you know, Bednar was the coach of the Monsters when they won the Calder Cup. Oh, I know. So his mindset was, like – very locked in and focused and he didn't want to be distracted during playoffs. So I think it's like the perfect situation for him as a coach to be locked away in a bubble (laughs) without having to have any sort of like responsibilities outside of hockey, you know, because he's there. I think that's going to give the avalanche the extra edge. I want to say that the Hawks are going to pull it out just because I really would love to see them go a little bit further. But also, Ryan Craig is a coach for the Vegas Golden Knights. And uh, he played. He was the captain of the Monsters when they won the Calder Cup. And it, it's kind of, it's cool to watch him behind the bench. So every time coach Pete DeBoer, every time he draws up a play and it doesn't come out properly, he looks at Craig and he's like, what happened? And then Ryan's there just telling him, what happened and how to fix it. And then he fixes it and then they, they do it properly. And so it's kind of cool to watch an assistant coach have so much, um, not say, but so much involvement in how things are running on a team. So it would be cool to watch Vegas go a little bit further. And I just, I don't even know about the East. Like, I feel like anything could happen in the East right now. Yeah, I haven't been impressed with Boston because I just they didn't do well going into this series, and now they lose Rask. However, I do think they are – I think Halak can definitely hold his own in goal. So, I mean, they're still a threat for sure, but they're, they're still without Pasternak. Uh, he's out tonight. Uh, Carolina's got a lot of different offensive weapons, but they lost Fetchnikov in that injury on Saturday. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, but as far as, you know, Montreal, Philly, Montreal had the big blowout win. You know, they lost Claude Julien. In the, he's in the hospital, obviously. But they had a big win 
on Friday. They got shut out yesterday in a tight game. It does feel a little bit more wide open in the East. Tampa Bay might very well represent the East. We know how good they are. Boston is definitely a good team. The Islanders, they're up 3-0 on the Caps. They are another defensive-oriented team. I think it's funny that Barry Trotz is kind of getting his revenge on the team that he won the Cup with. But they had their sort of contract disputes, and we all know what happened there. So I don't know if the Islanders have enough, but I certainly, at this point, anybody that's left has a good shot. So Except the Arizona Coyotes and the Blackhawks are done. And the Caps are probably done. They're on 3-0. Can you imagine, though, if the Islanders... <laughs> Could you imagine if the Islanders made it to the finals and then won in Toronto <laughs> and Tavares... Mm. That would be funny, John Tavera, yeah. <laughs> like, it would be just the ultimate, I guess, like, F you, we didn't need you because we're playing on your ice in your hometown and we're raising the cup. I mean, that would be such a hockey thing to happen to. That, that's the one thing about hockey that's really um, what I love about it is you could, pre- you could try and predict what's going to happen, but there's always so, <laughs> so much excitement leading up to it all. You know, it's, it can change literally in 19 seconds. That's true. You know, we'll find out, obviously, you know, what happens with game five between Columbus and Tampa and the rest of these games. But, yeah, I, you know, I, I feel like it's between Vegas and, and uh, Colorado for the West, but maybe Vancouver, maybe the Blues. Who knows? Maybe Dallas, Calgary. I don't know. But it's definitely been fun to see this, you know, this bubble, this tournament play out. We We had our doubts, but... Here we are talking about hockey, and I guess it's cool. Like it's like okay, now the Jackets are down three to one, but hey, I guess we'll take it. Take hockey anyway. So the only thing that's like I'm scared about is that there will literally be no games on Saturday. And why? <laughs> like what's what's on Saturday, Elaine? Elaine, what's on? Saturday? Well, I mean, if you follow me on Twitter, I have a countdown to my birthday. <laughs> But, like, can you imagine you wait your whole life to have hockey, like, at least in your birthday month, and now you finally get it? And I'm looking at the way these games are are lining up, and I'm like, all these possible elimination games are on a Wednesday. (laughs) But, you know, you know that they're not all going to end. Someone's going to win. There's no way they all. I, I guarantee it. I've been good on predictions. They will not all end. The Jackets... I'm gonna. I'm honestly gonna assume they probably will lose, just because if I'm, I'm usually pretty optimistic, and it doesn't really work out in this case. So reverse psychology, they'll probably win then. But uh, yeah, we'll see what happens. Well, that's gonna that's gonna do it for us this week. Uh, thanks again for tuning in, and we will see you all next week. Our theme music is the song "Green Eyes" by Angela Pearlie and the Howlin' Moons, off of their album "Homemade Vision." Angela's newest album is called 430, and you should definitely go check it out. Check her out at AngelaPearly.com, and you should also check out Angela Pearly on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube for videos and live stream concerts from her home during the stay-at-home period. Rate us, leave us a review on iTunes, and as always, we welcome your comments and questions. You can tweet at us at CBJCanon and comment on JacketsCanon.com. From all of us at the Canon, thank you for listening, and we will see you next week. Hola.